Good morning, everybody. This is the most wonderful time of the year, is it not? Oh my goodness, so much happiness, so much good cheer, but we will fight about everything and anything, won't we? <laughs> I love that. Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. That is what we're going to be talking about today. So before we get into the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you today, and we do truly want to follow you. We want to heed your word, and we want to live a life that uh, honors you and what you have done as our example, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would fill us, continually fill us with your spirit so that we can truly fulfill the purpose and the plan that you have set before us. We come in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, and I think there's some songs about that, right? Oh, my goodness. But I wonder what that first Christmas was like. And there you see a little manger scene reminds us that, yes, we're, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. And, and uh, Matthew and, and Luke don't touch on the birth, the, the, the labor of Jesus. And I don't blame them, right? I mean, they, they basically come out and say, you say, oh, oh, yep, right, she gave birth to a son. That, that's, that's the labor. That's the labor and delivery statements in the Gospels. Yep, she gave birth to a son. But I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering about that. Uh, if there was peace in that stable that Christmas night. Ladies, ladies, you're so tough and so brave. And, and having four kids of my own and seeing my wife go through the labor. And my wife and kids are watching. They're sick at home. So, hi, how you doing? Um, but you ladies, you ladies. When I can imagine a mom, a cool and calm mom, yelling, this is all your fault, <laughs> right? I don't, know if, I don't know if Mary had any of that kind of stuff going on. I don't know who she's saying, it's, it's, it's their fault. It's, so Joseph's like, it's not me, no, not, not, not me. And Joseph, you know, strong dad, even the strongest dad running around, and I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And so I can imagine that night and that, that the, the labor and, and birth of our Savior even, you know, was there, was there peace in that stable at night? Well, there is a lot to disagree with in this world. And, and no matter how close relationships are, we have, we have things that happen in our lives that cause disagreements, cause struggle. There's a story about uh, a husband, a cranky old husband. This is not, this is not anything personal here. A cranky old husband at breakfast, and, and his wife makes some scrambled eggs, and he yells out, ah, oh, I wanted them poached, and so the next morning she makes them poached, ah, oh, I wanted these scrambled, so the wife gets this brilliant idea, and she scrambles one and poaches another, sets it before him, and says, ah, oh, you scrambled the wrong one, <laughs> you know, so much, no matter, no matter how close the relationship is, you know, we encounter 
difficulty and difficult people all the time, and difficult people can be difficult to deal with. Actually, some of the best holiday movies are based on those kind of conflicts, right? And resolving, working through that as, as a, a couple or as, you know, friends or whatever. Even in the church, even in the church, we can find disagreement. We always don't see eye to eye because of our own personal opinions, and that may differ from the way someone else sees life or has experienced life. And so how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? We're going to talk about keeping the peace, keeping the peace and pursuing peace in disagreements today. The theme for Advent is peace, the peace. And so we talked, to, we talked about the messenger of peace a couple weeks ago, Jesus as our trusted messenger of peace and did some fun stuff with that. We talked about a position of peace that we have now because we are in Christ Jesus and our, our, our position that we hold as heirs and adopted children in God's family and what that does for us. Talked about the peace last week, the peace that, um, that justice can bring as we're dealing with our communities and those who are around us. And today we want to talk about pursuing peace with one another, even, even when it's tough, even when we have disagreements. We're going to be in Romans 14 primarily today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there or grab one from the seat or get on your phone, your tablet, however you read the Word of the Lord and uh, turn to Romans 14. We're going to start around verse 1. It has some great advice for us. Romans 14, 1 has some great advice. Don't argue over disputed matters. Another translation makes it more clear. Do not argue about opinions. Do not argue about opinions. Later on in verse 19 of Romans 14, it says, So then, let us pursue peace and what builds one another up. This is our call. This is our charge as we talk about peace this holiday season. And this is what the church in Rome needed to hear. If you're familiar with this passage and what they're going, what they're going through as a church, a, a mixed church of Jew and Gentile and differing of, uh, views and opinions on, on things like food and drink and things like holy days. And so you have a situation here where they had a ton of pagan temples in Rome, in the city of Rome, and uh, those pagan temples would receive meat for sacrifices. You'd go, you'd take meat for a sacrifice, kill it, offer it up on the altar, and at the temple they would take a little bit of that meat and offer it at the sacrifice, and then what they would do, they would have a, like a market right next to the temple, and they'd take the rest of that meat, usually the good stuff, they'd take the good stuff from that sacrifice and sell it off so that people could buy it on the street at a pretty good price uh, here. And so they would burn a little bit on the altar. They would sell the rest in the marketplace. Families could come and buy the meat and take it home for a meal. And there were many, many pagan converts in this Roman church, new converts. And they would say stuff like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We used to go to that temple down the street. We know what they do with that meat. There's no way we can eat that. You can't eat that. Nobody, nobody from this church can go to those markets and buy any of that stuff because we know where it comes from. You also have Jewish converts in the church, and you, you can't eat that meat. You don't, we don't have a clue how it's been prepared. You know, we, we've got to follow all of our Jewish rules and regulations about what it means to fix our food and keep it clean and kosher, and you don't know how, how that stuff was killed or prepared, and so we, we just... No, you got to stay away from that. Other Christians were like, no, this is no big deal. 
We came out of this. We know these idols aren't real. We're following the one true God. We know these aren't real. The, the meat is good. It's cheap. What's the issue? What's the issue? They, they debated on sacred days. Again, the, the Jewish uh, population was still observing Jewish holidays and insisting that everyone do the same thing. And others were saying, well, we, we should be able to worship on other days. Specifically, they were, they were worshiping on Sundays, celebrating their, their risen Lord, Jesus Christ. And so everyone in these, these churches, they had an opinion, and they believed that everybody else should follow and agree with that opinion and follow those rules and was causing a disruption in this church. Someone wrote a poem about what was happening at this church, and it, it goes like this. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink, but what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. Whew. This is funny, but very, very dangerous, a very, very dangerous line of thought when it comes to the church. Why? Because this kind of thinking in this little poem and in what we see in the, the Roman church is uh, antithetical to what the church is. What is the church? It's a growing group of believers, followers of Jesus, and it's meant to spread around the world. It's meant to spread around the world. This is one of the big problems at the start of the church. What happened? The disciples, uh, they, they start preaching the good news in Jerusalem, and what, what happened at the, the beginning of the church? They, they sort of didn't want to break out of that right? They, they sort of got stuck in Jerusalem, right? And God had to do some things in their lives and to their communities, really, to break them out, to get the good news into Samaria, into the Gentile world, into the rest of the world, because why? The church is meant to be a growing group of Jesus' followers, which is going to mean it's going to have a, a diverse background, there's going to be different experiences, there's going to be different ideas, different cultural expectations and experiences as the church gets together. And so disagreements happen. Disagreements happen, even among like-minded believers. Romans 14.1 says this, welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. Don't get hung up on opinions. Welcome in a weaker brother and sister. And so the, Paul's going to talk about weaker and stronger brothers and sisters in this passage. And so who are these people? Sometimes we think that these stronger Christians, they're the ones who live by strong convictions, specifically in this, this, um, this area, and they had strong conviction, con convictions that idol meat was off limits or that the church had to look and act and meet on certain days of the week. But that's not the case. The stronger brother and sisters that Paul are talking about in this situation are those who found new freedom in Christ and exercised that freedom with a clear conscience. And the weaker brothers and sisters were the ones who hadn't fully grasped the extent of freedom that they have in Christ. And so they were bothered by the personal choices and opinions, um, really, that, that didn't have any long impact, right, in the grand scheme of things. The weaker brothers and sisters lived more by, they were more bound in their conscience by the rules, really not even spelled out in Scripture, but they held them, held those rules and those convictions as if 
they were. Now, weak in faith, when Paul's talking about being weak in the faith, it doesn't mean they didn't have enough faith in God. It was really about their, their personal conscience and convictions about what their faith would allow. And Paul tells us that we are to pursue peace, even when we're in the midst of different opinions. Two through four in this chapter says, One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. He's not talking anything about being a vegetarian, being weak. That's, that's not the point of this. There are vegetarians there. You're, you can be very strong in that. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another, another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Each of these groups, each of these positions, these people were acceptable to God because they had put their faith in Jesus Christ and were meeting based on that. Each of them was welcomed into the fellowship, but based on their faith, what they were doing through faith. Romans 14, 22 says this, Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because he is eating not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. This is based on faith. This is the focus of this passage is faith. Faith is what makes us acceptable to God. And this is the reason we can pursue peace. Despite our differences and opinion about some things, we are all in Christ, Jesus. We are centered on Christ. Romans 14, 7, for none of us lives for himself and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Oftentimes when we look at the cross of Christ, we say, oh, it creates this bridge between us and God so that we can have relationship with God, which is true, which is true. The cross spans the relationship that we have, the gulf that we had between us and God, separating us between a relationship with God. But the cross does more than that. It bridges, creates a bridge between you and I as well. Everyone who has made the decision to follow Jesus is no longer under the condemnation of this world. This is everyone who is in Christ Jesus, not just the Christians that we agree with, not just the opinions that we agree with, because we are all bound in Christ. Jesus says, you are not guilty. Jesus makes us holy. Jesus transforms our desires, and we come from different places, right? Different places, different spaces, different experiences, and He continually transforms our desires. He, he's the one who creates the growth in us, and hopefully we continue to grow in His grace and pursue peace. See, the, the Scripture gives us a clear understanding of what is required for salvation, the scripture gives us a clear understanding for the, the basics of, of holiness, what it means to live a holy life. The scripture does not give us a clear understanding on every debatable matter in life. 
This is why we continue to grow together as the body of Christ. Actually, that's not the purpose of the Scripture, to give us like a check mark on every single thing. Like, should I drive this type of car or not? Right? Should, should I watch, you know, this type of movie, this, this specific movie? Or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't give us a clear, clear cut. Yep, check this off, check this off, check this. Every step I take, I check off this Scripture verse because... You know, this is how it applies. Actually, that's not the purpose. Because again, the gospel, what's it supposed to do? It's supposed to advance into every culture and every time. Every culture and every time. And this is why we have disputed matters and opinions. And this is why we have Christianity growing among the capitalists and the communists, among the monarchs and democracies, among the socialists and the free markets, among the progressives and the conservatives, is growing among the American states and the African nations. It grows in the European countries. It grows in the Asian nations and everywhere in between. And the gray areas of life usually come from an honest difference in opinion between Jesus' followers. People who are Bible-believing Christians who are just looking to apply biblical principles to their lives, but again, we come from such different spaces and places that it can be difficult sometimes. had real honor this past week to actually attend a, a luncheon with our, our former vice president, uh, Mike Pence, and anytime you get to attend to like an event with a previous president or vice president, man, what, what an honor. And so we, there was a small gathering of people in the, the southern part of the state, those who are working with um, uh, helping families in need, specifically in crisis pregnancy care, some foster care and stuff. And so we were invited to come to this, this lunch and hear from him. And what impressed me most about him in that time, to hear him for about 45, 30 or 45 minutes to speak to us, what impressed me most is the way that he built relationships with people from very different backgrounds, very different backgrounds. He's, a, he's, a, he's an ultra-conservative. He's an ultra-conservative. He, he's a proud conservative, but he tells stories of partnering with uh, specifically a, a very liberal Jewish representative from California and some work that they did because of a bond of, of faith. He talks about a relationship between he and Ted Kennedy and he and John Lewis, the civil rights activist, and he says, man, we are, we are worlds apart on a lot of political views, right? We are worlds apart on a lot of political views, but he called them. He called them all right there for us. He called, and this was a mixture of pastors and, and other leaders in the community, he called them faith-filled men, genuine believers, and they were connected, not not because they agreed on everything, but they were connected because of a bond as followers of Jesus. And that impressed me so much about that, that lunch and what he had to share. And Augustine says this, in the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. In all things, love. Romans 14, Paul says in verse 14, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. The point, one of the points that Paul is making 
is that do we love people or do we love to be right? Do we love people or do we love to be right? And this is not about a passage about, well, exactly what can I do? What, what's that list of things and, and I, I, what can I do out of this? This is, this is how will this affect another believer? How would I do, how will it affect another believer? Now, will you ever be able to completely stay away from offending another person? Ever, anybody figure that out? Anybody, anybody kind of, you know, got like, oh, yes, I, this, is, this is the way we do this. Anybody? No, a lot of shaking heads. No, nope. We're human. We're human. Yeah, even pastors and church leaders, we struggle with this sometimes. Sometimes we, sometimes we even get it wrong. But I found it's one thing to offend a young and maturing Christian, someone who's a weaker brother and sister in, a, in, a, in an area of life. It's another thing to offend one who's hardened in their faith. And there's a difference. Because this is not all about, Paul's not saying, oh, we just need to be really nice. We don't want any conflict here. Right? No, no, no. Paul had some conflict. Paul had some conflict. We'll, we'll take a peek at that in a little bit. There's no way that you can make it through life without offending those who are spiritually hardened in their faith. And these are, I'm talking about even believers, genuine believers in Jesus Christ, but sometimes we become hardened in our faith in certain areas, and in in those instances, there needs to be a challenge. There needs to be a challenge. Jesus challenged, famously challenged the Pharisees in his day. They were hardened in their, their faith. They had lots of rules. They had little freedom and little joy in a relationship with a relationship with God, and they certainly did not lead other people into a joy of a relationship with God. A Pharisee is someone who doesn't want to be taught. They're, they're pretty unteachable and unmoving in their views, and we, they may have, uh, we may have a common ground in the essentials, but usually when it comes to a second tier or a third tier issue of the faith, something that isn't a salvation issue that usually drives, that is usually bringing a wedge in between us. Pharisees are not interested in hearing other opinions or options. Someone said that they are not sponges that soak up truth because they have already been saturated with their own opinions. Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the door on the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You do not go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in as well. Ah, The church will always have its fair share of Pharisees. Another pastor pointed out these characteristics of what a Pharisee looks like maybe in a church. They usually don't follow along with a sermon because why? They already know. They already know, this is, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. They've usually got the right opinion on, on every issue of the day. And they may not stay around in a church very long. Why? Because they need to go here and be right. And the challenge, well, I'm going to go here and go here. And they usually leave a church not on doctrinal issues, but on preferences. They, they, they base their faith on, on their preferences, so Paul says it's a very dangerous thing to offend an immature Christian, one who is growing and maturing in their faith. It's a very dangerous thing to make them doubt their faith, what they believe. But we can't be afraid to speak the truth and challenge the Pharisees because of the division that they will bring 
to a church. And Paul gives a great example of this when he confronts Peter in Galatians. He records this in Galatians about not eating. Again, eating. Here's food. Food's a common theme in this. Not eating with his Gentile brothers and sisters. Peter, Peter went and he ate and he was fellowshipping with his Gentile brothers and sisters. But as soon as he heard that there's a representation, Jewish leaders coming from Jerusalem, he backs his seat away from the table. But nope, I have no part in this. I have no part in this. I'm going to I'm going to eat the proper way, the, the way that the, the, the Torah tells me. And Peter quickly got it from the table like he wasn't going to take part in that meal or hadn't taken part. I, I wasn't sitting around the table. Nope, nope, I wasn't, there was no way, I wasn't sitting around the table. He segregated himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters, and Paul sees the hypocrisy and confronts Peter. Galatians 2, when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James, from, from Jerusalem. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party, the, the strict Jewish party. And the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy. Not only did Peter stumble, Peter brought other people into his stumbling as well. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. There's a, uh, an old Bible teacher, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, saw this, saw this story. He was an early, uh, early uh, preacher in the 20th century, like World War I time, and he writes this. He writes this. Many years ago, I led a Bible conference in Pennsylvania. There were about 200 young people present and 100 adults. One day, Two older Christian ladies complained to me in horror because some of the girls were not wearing nylon stockings. These ladies wanted me to rebuke these girls for their unchristian behavior. Looking those ladies straight in the eyes, I said, well, the Virgin Mary didn't wear stockings. <laughs> the two ladies gasped, <gasps> she didn't? <laughs> I answered, no. In Mary's time, stockings were unknown. In fact, I've done some research, he says, into this, and we know that stockings were first worn by prostitutes in Italy in the 17th century, <laughs> glancing at their stockings. Later, a class of nobility wore stockings to costume balls, and later, Queen Victoria wore them, and they became a badge of the, the prude. In other words, it went from being a badge of prostitution to a badge of prudery. These ladies were a holdover from the Victorian era, he says, and I did not rebuke the girls for not wearing stockings. And, and a few years later, as they got into the war, no one was wearing stockings, and no one seemed to have a problem with that because of the war effort. And he says, ah, nor do I believe, he says this, nor do I believe that young girls not wearing stockings led to the disintegration of moral standards in the United States. Sometimes we think that, though, right? There, there are some things, we, some rules that we want to follow and say, if we don't all follow these rules, then our country's going down the tubes. Mm. Newfound freedom in Christ will always offend those who are set in their ways. But again, this is important to remember. It's not our opinions that God accepts, but our faith in Jesus Christ that he accepts. And this should be our focus as well, and this, this is, a, I think, a, a key point. Paul's goal was that we would all continue to grow and mature in our faith, that strong brothers and sisters would act out in grace through sacrifice, 
towards their, their weaker brothers and sisters, and that weaker brothers and sisters would mature in their freedom and put their list of rules down as they matured and found freedom in Christ. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 12, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Again, how do people see that we are followers of Jesus? Sort of by what we do, how we act, how we respond, how we work with one another. When churches fight, do people see the Lord? No. No. Well, we all have lists. We all have lists. We all have, we all have, all have convictions. We all have convictions, things that, that we automatically think that, that Christians could never do or, or should never do. And chances are there are a lot of personal opinions on our lists, on our lists. How do we decide what's a, on the list and what's a matter of a opinion? Another pastor raises these three questions to, to, say, to ask, is this, when we're asking, is this right for me? Is this right for me? Is this something that I should do? Is it clearly prohibited in the Bible? First and foremost, does Scripture say, no, this, this is against God's command? Is it clearly, and I say clearly, prohibited in the Bible? Because often we fall in the trap, we, we find that one little passage, one little Scripture, and we pull that out and say, see, here's, this proves my point, this proves my point. And we don't take the whole counsel of Scripture, the whole counsel of a Scripture around it. Anybody can pull anything out of context to justify a position, so, but does the Bible clearly prohibit this action? Is it a first or second tier issue? Is this really something that, that affects someone's salvation, or is this a, a, an area where someone will mature and grow in their faith? How do I hold on to that? Another question, is this something that I can ask God to bless? this action, this thing I want to do, this, this thing I want to pursue, can I ask God to, to bless this? This sort of gets into the heart motivation. Is that something really I just want to do, or, or is this something that I can ask God to bless? Would I like to be found doing this when Jesus comes back? Would I like to be found doing this when Jesus comes back? And again, as you look at questions like that, we may actually answer them differently right? We may actually answer them differently, which means we will probably have disagreements. And how do we act within a disagreement? What do we do when there are disagreements? Well, I found that some of the best ways to handle disagreements are these. First and foremost, if it's a huge offense with somebody, go to like a Matthew 18. Everybody familiar with Matthew 18 where uh, Jesus is talking about if there's conflict between you and a brother and sister in Christ, how do you restore that relationship? How do you pursue that relationship? First and foremost, I think we seek out biblical solutions like a Matthew 18 and go to the, the person in love and charity. Go to them in love and charity. Often we come and say, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to come straighten you out. Right? That's, that's sometimes the approach we take. I got this bee in my bonnet, and I'm just going to lay it out how you are wrong. I think we need to go to the person in love and charity. Ask questions about their opinions or their views. And listen. Right? If invited in, 
If invited in, maybe we're actually allowed to share our opinion as well and build the conversation. I like what Stephen Covey has to say. Seek first to understand before being understood. Again, it kind of goes to the principle of, do we go in there with fingers pointing in condemnation and and ready to just prove our point, or do we go in there in in love and charity and try to understand where is this person coming from? I fully don't agree with this position, but I want to know why you do. I want to understand why you hold that view. If this is a real issue that's dividing a relationship, then set some time aside to work towards restoration. Work towards restoration. If the church, if church folks, if not just here, but around this country, around this world, if church folks actually work towards restoration and relationship instead of division and scattering, what, what is the world going to see? What is the world going to see? And I would say, I had this one, be the one who initiates. Again, walking in grace and love. Be the one who initiates, because why? Most times, people may not even know they have a problem with you, or you have a problem with them. And so we walk in grace, and I think to be the ones who initiate, because they may not even understand that there's an issue that's in between you two. Romans 14, back to Paul, says, But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. The world is a great big place. And we are getting closer and closer to everybody in this world, are we not? I mean, there was a time. There was a time where you did not have a clue what was going on around the world or what was taking place around the world, and you'd get like a little snippet maybe in the news. Now now you can look and see what's happening with your brothers and sisters around the world at every and any time of the day. The world is becoming, it's a great big place, but it's becoming smaller and smaller, and we're becoming more and more connected. And as we become more and more connected, we see the diverse opinions and views on every kind of issue. And the church is no different. The church is no different. It's a really very, very large group of people. It's not just us, right? This is, this is not just the church. We are, we are a, a local expression of Christ's body here, get to meet and sing and read His Word and, and dive into and, and learn from one another and grow closer in our relationship with the Lord and one another. This is not it. This is not all there is to it. And so as we grow, as the church grows with its different experiences, it'll shape, hopefully it'll shape how we see these non-essential, I will say non-salvation type issues, types of issues close with this, this story. I got this from a Pastor Dyke who's in Texas. Uh, he tells this story. He found this story. Uh, he says, this is a true story from Southern California. 
So there was a church dispute over a children's Christmas choir program. Some of the children's parents had the audacity and the gall to erect a Christmas tree in the church. Okay, I hope they don't look at our foyer out there. Some of the members of the church thought it was a desecration of the church, and so they were terribly opposed to it. And so after the parents of these choir kids set up the tree, you know what they did that night? A bunch of them came in after the rehearsal and dismantled the tree and took it out. The next morning when they came in for the next rehearsal, the parents, they saw it was gone. You know what the parents, what they did? They set it back up again. Set it back again. That night after rehearsal, you know what the folks who didn't like it did? Took it back down again. Took it back after everybody's gone. They tore it down. They snuck in, tore it down. The next day, the parents of the choir children were waiting for the tree dismantlers. And when they approached them, they told them, you cannot take this tree down. And the other Christian said, you are desecrating the house of God. You've got to take it down. It resulted in a fist fight. It resulted then in a lawsuit. And this was all what uh, was all in the papers of this little local town in Southern California. Why do you think people out there without Jesus think Christianity is just a bunch of non-essential things that don't matter? Because sometimes we focus on the non-essential things that just don't matter. We spend our lives majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors, and we forget to pursue peace sometimes. And we get caught up in thinking it's more important to say things like Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. Do you know that Happy Holidays actually means Blessed Holy Day? When someone says Happy Holidays, they're actually saying, hey, it's, this is a Blessed Holy Day. But we get caught up in that stuff. And so this Christmas season, let FBC Faith Bible Church be a place and a people where we seek to bring peace and wholeness to the relationships around us and focus on the true thing, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because our Lord and Savior said this, again in Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Lord Jesus, you gave us an example of what it means to walk in peace during trial, during joy, what it meant to invite those in who disagreed with you, but also to 